Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. We are in season five, which follows the story of Wilds of Eldraine. For those of you just getting started with us, the Magic Story Podcast is where we recap the fiction story behind the card game, Magic the Gathering. All of these fiction stories we talk about here are available on mtgstory.com. Today's episode is episode two of the Wilds of Eldraine story, titled Wandering Night, Budding Hero by K. Arsenal Rivera. Join us as we head into the multiverse. In the last episode, we introduced our podcast listeners to the fairy tale world of Eldraine. We met up with the Kenrith twins, Will and Rowan, while they dealt with the aftermath of the death of their father, the king, and their stepmother, the queen. This newest shared trauma seems to be creating a rift between the siblings as Will takes on the throne in his father's stead. Will and Rowan's fighting culminates in Rowan unleashing a catastrophic surge of her spark magic that brings down a stunning bolt of lightning, which is so strong that it breaks a chunk off of a mountain. And in another part of the realm, we met a brand new character to magic, Kellen. Kellen is half human, half fae, and that hasn't been easy for him in his home of Orenshire. He's picked on by local boys and generally feels out of place being among the humans who don't fully accept him. Kellen has always felt called to the wilds, so when a portal opens up, he enters it only to find himself in front of a high fae who gives him a quest. As a reward for searching out and defeating the three witches who have cursed all of the realm with a sleeping curse, Kellen will be able to learn more information about his father, a fae who he has never met. So at the top of this episode, we are back with Rowan Kenrith. Just Rowan traveling the wilds by herself, searching for a cure to the wicked slumber. She stops for a while at a person named Royce's house. And I note that all the denizens that Rowan has come across in the wilds have been very kind to her on her travels, like complete strangers lending places to stay and such. So the hospitality is quite different from that of the realm, but the wilds are exceedingly more dangerous, which we'll find out in this episode. Royce has been very kind to Rowan, but the conversation takes a darker turn when Royce mentions, rest will come for you, whether you like it or not. Best to face it on your own terms. And then Royce goes on to say that the answer Rowan seeks may rest inside an ancient castle not far from here. And right then, the glamour on Royce, a type of illusion spell, breaks. Her true form is revealed. She is not human. Eight eyes, two chittering mandibles, eight arms hidden beneath her stole. Ah, why with the spiders again? (laughs) We had a face (laughs) shielded in in season one with the spider, and I told everybody that I had arachnophobia. I don't like spiders, and here we are again. I I love this. I thought it was so cool that, like, beneath her glamour, she's just, like, this little spider person. I thought that was really cool. Wrong. It was cool. I'm just not a fan of spiders. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Rowan is obviously startled by this glamour slip, but Royce assures her that she means her no harm. Rowan, ever the cautious, doesn't sleep that night, but she does learn a little of weaving. 
The next morning, Rowan goes to the castle Royce mentioned. It's an ancient, long-dead castle, its residents long forgotten by people. She is briefly attacked by the undead when she first walks in, but Rowan easily dispatches the zombies. She's faced darker horrors, Phyrexians, after all. But there's nothing in this castle. No Alembics, no answers, no one living, and no lost secrets to find. And this is from the story. Alone in the abandoned castle, Rowan Kenrith becomes a storm. She imagines what her brother would say if he saw her here, and this only drives her further into a rage. By the time she realizes she has begun to weep, her body is already shaking and weary. Exhausted, Rowan finds a bed in this castle, and in her dreams, she walks again through this castle, but this time it is whole and pristine. She sees her father and mother alive, and her two younger siblings as well. Rowan's chest goes tight. There they are, just as she remembers them. No scars save those they earned in her youth. No bloody wounds. They are so happy. She goes to them, and her father greets her, though she realizes then that she cannot speak to him in return. Then her father takes the crown from atop his head and places it on her own, saying, Come to Castle Ardenvale. Your blood awaits you there. Ooh, that felt symbolic. Had to be symbolic, I think. Also, seeing as she just fought undead zombies in this castle, I really don't want to imagine what sort of horrors might await her in Castle Ardenvale. That had felt the brunt of the Phyrexian onslaught. This is where her parents died. She wakes from this dream, alone in the abandoned castle, and she just weeps. And I really think there's some deep-rooted PTSD in Rowan that she's really not allowing herself to feel in front of her brother. And seeing her lost family again in her dream, that must have been so hard, and she just unleashes here. And she vows that she will do as her father asked. She will go to Castle Ardenvale. So from here, we switch to the perspective of our young half-fay, Kellen, the 16-year-old we had met last episode. Tasked by Talion to end the three witches responsible for the wicked slumber. Kellen has been on the road, well on his journey, and has come to the village of Edgewall. Showing his naivety, he's asking the locals whether they've seen any witches lately. And none of the residents really take him all that seriously. Most of the time, they laugh. And I highlight that this is the first time Kellen has been away from his home in Orangeshire, His mother had told him stories of places like this, but never has he actually been here. His youth and inexperience in these types of situations shows. All his life, his mother has told him stories of places like this, of dwarfs, of fawns, knights, and mages. But they didn't feel real to Kellen until now. Across the street from the pie shop, an elven woman sells enchanted wooden songbirds. Up ahead, a verdant knight speaks to a smith. There are banners and baubles everywhere that I can land. He nods to himself as he walks, decided that there's no better place to live than here. He heads to a pie shop at the end of the street, which is packed full. He waits at the end of the line, filling outside. And as he waits, his eyes wander over the messengers running from one end to the other, the bard playing his lute. He hums along. A group of children in leaf rock clothes toss pine cones back and forth in a fit of laughter and giggles. Kellen grins, watching them. But then, 
he sees the sleeping man standing under the eaves of a shop, a swirl of violet around him. His eyes are closed, his mouth open, as he sways, drool falls on his armor. This must be the slumber the merchant told them about on his last visit. Seeing it in person is a strange thing. How long's he been like that? There's a touch of rust where his spit hits his armor. Why doesn't anyone help him? Worse, someone in a hurry bumps into the sleeper. The sleeper jerks, falls over, and no one helps him up. So Kellen, seeing this all unfold, promptly tries to jump in and help the sleeping knight. I mean, he's such a naive hero. I love it. And someone reaches out to stop him. You might not want to do that, she says. The person who stopped him is a girl in a red cloak. You're the one who keeps asking about the witches, she asks. Kellen pretends to be all tough hero and he kind of really fails here. The girl laughs and tugs him away from the shop, explaining as she goes, the wicked slumber spreads. She also mentions witches and that Kellen shouldn't keep asking questions about them. Don't you know you shouldn't draw a witch's attention? Do you know a lot about witches? He asks. If you do, I could really use your help. I just got here, so I don't know a lot, but I've got a quest to finish. This girl looks at him dubiously and points out that for someone on a quest, it's curious he doesn't possess a sword. To which Kellen responds, heroes don't need swords. However, Talion did gift him a pair of these basket-woven handles before he left on his quest, claiming they are as useful as any blade, but Kellen has yet to use them or prove that to be true. He brandishes the pair of basket hilts, Talion's parting gift. Old wood has grown to mimic the worked steel of human smithing, with a peculiar glow proclaiming their unearthly provenance. They're sure to impress anyone. But the girl isn't just anyone. And she regards them with only a raised brow. Whenever someone insists that something's real, it means it isn't, she sighs. Anyway, I wouldn't be of much help. You've got to go out to Dunbarrow. My brother Peter, he knows every inch of that place like the back of his hand. He could help you. But that's when the girl admits she hasn't seen her brother Peter in days. In fact, she's looking for him and was hoping Kellen might have seen him. We find out here that the girl's name is Ruby. Kellen asks Ruby to come with him on his quest, to go with him to Dunbarrow. She's searching for her brother. He's searching for witches. They could help each other out. Ruby asks what lord Kellen serves. I mean, Kellen did mention several times through this whole conversation that he's on a quest for his liege lord. But Kellen obviously can't state he's serving the lord of the Fey, But he also can't lie. So he opts for the emotional truth. They're helping me find my father, Kellen says. That's what I get for finishing the quest. A chance to know who he is. So I'm sure they'll help you with your brother. Ruby agrees to go with him. Someone's got to look out for you. It might as well be me. And so Kellen and Ruby venture into the wilds of Eldraine, heading for Dunbarrow in search of witches. They pass by metallic aberrations frozen in their slumber, Phyrexians. Orenshire had evaded the Phyrexian invasion, so Kellen is shocked to be seeing one in person. Those things used to be alive, he asks Ruby. If you can call it alive, Ruby answers. Stopping by one of them, what looks to be some kind of walking battering ram, she shows him the oil oozing from within it, the face with its two weeping eyes. 
Kellen asks where they came from, and Ruby answers, some other realm. And this is how Kellen discovers that there are other realms. Remember that the Phyrexian invasion had broken down barriers across the multiverse, either because of the invasion itself or the aftermath of it. Most are aware that there are other realms besides the one that they reside in. And, of course, planeswalkers could traverse all of them, and we are behind the perspective of planeswalkers most of the time, so it's not news to them, but Kellen is not a planeswalker. Nor had he witnessed the invasion, so discovering that there are other realms besides Eldraine, his home, must be pretty shocking. They continue onwards into the wilds, leaving the sleeping Phyrexians behind. So this next scene is probably one of my favorites in the whole episode. So Kellen and Ruby are traversing the brambles of the forest and Kellen hops over this log and accidentally like lands in a puddle and splashes Ruby's shoes. And Ruby just lets out this shriek, like this screech from the from the puddle. And from somewhere within the forest, a pixie laughs at Ruby. And this is from the story. Since time immemorial, it has been impolite to laugh at a struggling girl. It is the purview of a hero to defend such damsels. And so Kellen gets almighty, preparing to shout the pixie away in defense of Ruby's honor. But Ruby is just way ahead of him. She picks up an apple from her basket and hurls it like a crossbow bolt, hitting the pixie dead on. They are so annoying, she huffs. And Kellen is just awestruck by this he stares at her just absolutely gaping and ruby just shrugs it off she says it's just an apple i'm sure you can do a lot more with those fancy swords and he doesn't know how to tell her in this moment that he has no idea how to use them there isn't time to tell her much of anything though because an arrow whizzes right by their heads nicking kellen on the nose before embedding itself into a tree Ruby acts quickly, hurling them both into the safety of a blackberry bush. And the owner of the arrow is a man dressed in wolf armor prowling through the woods. Beneath the mail, a blood-red gambeson seems an omen of wounds to come. The bow that shot the near-fatal arrow is as wicked as the thorns of the bush. At his hip hangs a sword as long as Kellen's legs. The snarling metal maw of a wolf conceals all but his burning eyes. And he is staring right at them. Kellen's throat is tight. He saw a knight for the first time only hours ago. What is this thing? The wolf knight strides towards them. And Kellen shouts for them to run, so they do. Ruby says it would be great timing for Kellen to use those fancy swords he has against the wolf-armored knight chasing them. He can't lie to her, but the hilts aren't swords either. They're just hilts. Talion said they'd help refine his abilities, of course, in all the time he's traveled with them, he hasn't been able to do anything except punch things a little harder or... Well, it's better than nothing. Turning towards the wolf knight, Kellen hurls one of the hilts as hard as he can. It bounces uselessly off of his armor, then flies back to Kellen's hand. Oops, he says. It's such a human moment. Kellen literally is just like, oops. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's just so silly. Like, but what else? How else do you respond in that moment? Like, all right, I've got this. I'm going to throw my hilt at you. And it just, womp. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Luckily, Ruby has an idea and steers them toward a body of a dead Phyrexian. Nearby are what she calls witch stalkers, which are described as creatures where 
If a toddler's malformed drawing of a wolf were given form, muscle, and fang, it might resemble one of these beings. And I love that description so much. It's 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 such a good description. And Ruby runs straight through the pack of them, giggling as she goes. Witch stalkers only attack beings that are magical. So as a human, she's perfectly safe. Of course, she has no idea that Kellen carries magical swords and is half fae himself. Mustering his courage, thinking of his mother's love, Kellen raises his hood and runs after her through the witch stalkers. And they don't attack, not even a nibble. And I find it almost unironically coincidental that he's thinking of his mother during like during this time when he's running through the witch stalkers, because I wonder if his mother's blood made him just enough human that the witch stalkers didn't attack him. That's that's kind of what yeah. I was thinking. I like I, I drew that connection over. He's thinking about his mother, which I think his mother did end up protecting him from that, which was pretty cool. It's cute. So anyway, they might be safe from the witch stalkers, but they aren't completely safe from the wolf knight. He's still after them and steps into the clearing. The witch stalkers turn their attention towards the wolf knight. And there's actually a card in the Wilds of Eldraine set that captures this moment so wonderfully. It's called Witch Stalker Frenzy, a red instant card. And you can actually see the wolf knight being surrounded by those wolf-like witch stalkers. I really love the flavor text on this card, too. The witch stalkers circled the armored figure, drawn to the corrupting stink of dark magic. Kellen and Ruby fled to the sound of savage howls and snapping jaws. So good. And the whole tone of this card is so just like dark and heavy. And that flavor text really kind of brings it home. But you see these like kind of wolf creatures that are just burying their gigantic fangs at the wolf knight. And the wolf knight is holding up his sword ready to battle. Yeah, I think the darker tone really hits it on the head because you can see the brambles and the like dark shrouds of the wilds around it. So it's a very dark looking art piece um, in this card for sure. And but the good news is, is that Ruby's plan works. The witch stalkers chase the wolf knight back into the woods. And so I won't use the word safe while they're in the middle of the wilds, but they're relatively safe for now except for the cabin that they had approached during their flee from the wolf knight. And this is from the story. He's not sure how neither of them saw it before now. Maybe this is what his mother meant whenever she talked about the chaos of a melee. When you're busy trying to make sure you get out of something alive, you aren't always paying attention to the horizon. Still, it's hard to miss. The house is thorny and black, as if made from blackberry brambles standing twice as tall as those back home. Violet windows pulse with light from within. All around the house, there is a thicket of violet mist. That's the witch's house, Kellen says. It's got to be. Ruby asks Kellen what they're supposed to do now, and after thinking for a minute, Kellen just kind of says haphazardly, hey, let's sneak in through the window and, quote, figure out how to defeat her. As if it's that easy. Figure it out how to defeat her. Oh, this ought to be good. This is from the story. The two of them slink through the twisting trees and thick bushes toward the house. Burrs cling to Kellen's cloak. He thinks of each one as a well-wish from his father. He's so close to finishing this first witch off. Will Talion give him a hint? Maybe a riddle? 
The thought of discovering more is as tempting as fresh fruit on a hot summer day. So they approach the window undetected from the brush and peer through the window. And inside they spot a witch's cauldron, a absolutely massive one. And they see someone tied up in the corner of the room. The other figure that is walking around the room is the witch. Now, Ruby is quick to determine this witch is eating people. Kellen struggles to agree with her saying, witches don't eat people. My mom was almost a witch and she'd never do anything like that. And Ruby asks such a poignant question. She says, have you ever considered that maybe that's why she's almost a witch, not is a witch? That's a good question. But this witch that they're seeing, who's kind of walking around her giant cauldron inside this house, this is Agatha, one of the three witches Talion had tasked to be destroyed. She has a card in the set called Agatha of the Vile Cauldron, and she looks just horrifying. Imagine bright glowing eyes with sharp teeth and a bunch of butcher's knives strapped to her waist while she tastes some mysterious toxic green brew from her cauldron. Yeah, that's Agatha. Now, you say she looks terrifying, and that's true. I will agree with that. But she also looks stunningly beautiful. And that's one of the things I love about Eldraine is like, nothing is really what it seems. Like, I could see her easily playing it off as if she's a damsel in distress, as if she is the one needing saving. Yeah. Because she's absolutely gorgeous. But if you look closely at that bubbling cauldron, I'm pretty sure that's a human bone sticking out. Yeah. So Kellen and Ruby duck from view as the witch stalks closer. But the witch is absorbed into her task around the bubbling cauldron, almost singing her ingredients and purpose as she does. In a sickening rhyme, this witch exclaims that she was hungry and this knight wandered in just in time to feed her. But she can't eat the knight all covered in tin as she is. Kellen, with his hero's instincts, knows he can't leave this knight to die by the hands of this evil witch. Ruby asks him what the plan is, but he admits he doesn't have one. During this, the wolf knight returns, approaching them from the woods after having fought off the witch stalkers and survived. Time was up to formulate a plan. Kellen wonders if maybe the knight tied up inside could actually help them. So he sneaks into the cabin through the front door while the witch's back is turned. And this knight, who, by the way, has an arm made of enchanted wood, so she should be super familiar to us, spots Kellen and has an inkling of hope on her face. No way. Is this Imodane? Totally. It's Imodane from last episode. Now, Kellen obviously does not know Imodane. He's never seen her or heard of her before, but we readers do. So while the witch is distracted with her brew over the cauldron, Kellen sneaks deeper into the cabin. So no longer with her sing-songy voice, the witch turns to Imodane and asks, which spice she'll taste best with. There's an art to this, the witch says. I can't just throw anything in there and hope it'll end up gourmet. And she dumps in a bag of mysterious ingredients into the cauldron, the contents of which make Kellen want to vomit. So we'll use our imaginations on what she just added there. Ew. And right then, and I love this scene, by the way, right then, Kellen cries out, you're the one who's cooked, and lowers his head like a ram and just charges into Agatha. And there's actually a card that just captures this moment like so perfectly. It's called Feed the Cauldron. Perfectly. It's a it's a black instant card. And you can see Kellen like literally tipping 
over Agatha and like ramming into her and tipping her into the cauldron. And I'll read this next part from the story. He hears the witch howl when he slams into her and he hears her scream as she falls into the cauldron. But he tries not to think about the implications of any of it. A puff of black smoke rises, the smell so acrid it brings tears to his eyes. And this is one of those moments where the flavor text on the card is taken directly from the story. And it's just so cool to see that. Like, I just, I love that so much. Like, it makes me so happy when I pull a card that's a, it's a story spotlight card, which you can tell because it says story spotlight on the card on the bottom next to the rarity and the number. And it just, it's perfectly from this scene. And you, it's just so cool to see, like, this is clearly that exact moment from the story on this card. And the look of just sheer surprise on the witch's face is very worth it if you want to go check this card out. Oh, yeah. And after, so Kellen has dumped, has rammed into Agatha and dumped her into the cauldron. Kellen runs towards Imodane to free her. And he's really trying hard not to think about what he has just done. He's also fully aware that the Wolf Knights is stalking closer to them outside, and this is when Ruby dashes through the door, exclaiming that he was almost here. But Imodane is weak. She's wounded and exhausted. She can barely lift her hammer when Kellen grabs it for her. Ruby hurls a jar at the Wolf Knight as he passes through the threshold, pausing inside the cabin with his eyes on all of them. The jar breaks apart on his armor, and he appears just unfazed. And then the wolf knight speaks. Ruby, I finally found you. The wolf knight doffs his home. Beneath is the face of a grizzled woodsman, his beard thick and his hair unkempt. Yet his eyes are kind and his smile warm. He spreads his arms. Ruby, it's me. And this is Peter, Ruby's brother, the one she had been searching for. He had been ensnared and enchanted by Agatha doing her bidding. And now that she's been, you know, knocked into her own stew. I still can't get over that. I'm still I'm I'm thinking about (laughs) during this whole scene. Agatha is inside of her own cauldron in in this very room. (laughs) I can't get over that. I feel like that's like a particularly rough death as a witch, like being pushed into your own cauldron. Yeah, (laughs) it's just brutal. (laughs) Tough way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Peter and Ruby reunite in typical sibling fashion, and then Peter turns to Kellen and thanks him for helping his sister Ruby. And Peter vows to help Kellen however he can in return for this service. Now, Kellen confesses that he has to show the cauldron to his liege lord, Talion, because they need proof that Agatha is, in fact, defeated. Peter also apologizes to Imodane. He was the one to contest with her, defeat her, and drag her back to the cabin so Agatha could eat her. But Ruby, ever the clever one, says that she can make Imodane a healing salve. So Peter, Ruby, and Kellen all hoist this giant cauldron to the threshold of the cabin. And Kellen tries very hard not to think about what's sloshing around inside. And yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying hard not to think about what's sloshing around inside. Um, And when they... Boiled witch. Boiled witch. Yum. Um... All right, I'm just I'm thinking of I'm thinking of boiled witch. I broke uh, Natalie. Yeah, I yeah, broke sorry. Natalie. Um, <laughs> so they're carrying this giant cauldron full of you know witch stew, and when they reach to the outside of the cabin, the mists of Talion's court actually greets them outside. 
And Talion themselves is not visible this time, but their voice speaks to them. Hilda is the next witch you seek. Her magic is great, her skill yet greater. She has concealed herself from my eyes. But consult the mirror in Drelin, and you may yet find her. Torn from Castle Vantris by Gera Grand Squall, it now lies far from its home. Worry not, my wisdom will save you the trouble of hunting it down. A beanstalk grows not a half a day's ride from here. Climb it, and you shall find the mirror at its peak. Now there is also no hiding it now to his friends. Ruby turns to Kellen, shocked to exclaim that his liege lord is the Fey King. Worried Kellen has lost the respect of his friends, he asks, Do you hate that I'm working with the Fey? But Ruby just responds, Are you kidding? That just means you're braver than I thought. So we actually end this episode with a camaraderie. Peter, Imodane, Ruby, and Kellen, a completely unlikely band of heroes here. Very, very, like, out there group. Who would have thought that they would have all, like, been working together, on, like, at, at the end of this episode? I would not have guessed it. And now they're all working together to defeat the next witch, Hilda. And I think, I think, though, like, at that very end part, I think th- it was kind of my favorite part of the of this whole episode is that Kellen actually earned Ruby's respect by the end, like in, in a way that he thought he had to hide, you know, over the fact of, that he's working with the Fae. It actually was yeah. the very thing that earned Ruby's respect. Um, and I just love that Kellen, like Kellen made a friend during this episode. And that was awesome. Yeah, Kellen made a great friend. I really love Ruby. I think she's I do fantastic. Too. I do too. And what a cool homage to Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. This was such a cute take on it. I really love that. I really love how Ruby is just like her own person. Ruby is not here to take any crap from anybody. And, you know, I think we know that from her apple throwing and her jar throwing. She's a thrower. Um, but it's really cool to see. I'm really enjoying her character so far. Me too. Me too. I'm super curious to figure out who Kellen's dad is. I'm invested in this storyline. I am so just, I just want to know more. Also, did you know that Natalie and I are also the voices for the audiobook version of Wilds of Eldraine? You can listen to the whole thing at the top of each web fiction story. So if you go to mtgstory.com, you click into the story, there will be a link there where you can go and just listen to the entire story. So if you want to do that before you listen to our episodes or after you listen to our episodes or just on their own, please give that a listen. We absolutely love the story and we just want you to get it in any way that is right for you. We hoped that you enjoyed today's episode. More episodes are right around the corner as Kellen continues his hero's adventure to hunt down the witches. We'll see you next time. But until then, have have a magical magical day. day.